0: Well, good morning. Back in 1958, there was a Hollywood movie made called The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. Anybody ever seen that movie? An old movie, Inn of the Sixth Happiness? It was actually a true story of a woman by the name of Gladys Aylward. She was a missionary to China many years ago. And the story recounts that during World War II, when the Japanese invaded China, Gladys Aylward was heading up an orphanage, and they knew that they could not stay in that town because they would all die and so Gladys Aylward took about a hundred orphans and led them out of that village and led them a very long distance over the mountains into an area where there was freedom and into an area where she knew those orphans would be safe. It was a very, very difficult journey and The story goes that during one sleepless night, after an incredibly long day, Gladys Aylward, finally, she just broke down. She cried out to God and she said, God, I can't do it. I can't go any farther. And there was a 13-year-old orphan there, a Chinese girl. And she started speaking and she said, Remember the story of Moses? Remember how Moses was able to lead the children of Israel through the Red Sea. That's one of my favorite stories that you used to tell us. And Gladys Aylward cried out. She said, yes, but I'm not Moses. And the little girl smiled and she replied, yes, but God is still God. And if God was able to do it through Moses, He's able to do it through you as well. And she was strengthened through those words and she was able to take all of those orphans to a place of safety. And you hear a story like that and you think to yourself, you know what? No matter how inadequate we may feel, no matter how difficult the situation around us may be, we all know that God is in control. That God has a plan for each one of our lives. Today I want us to look at The story of the three guys that were thrown into the fiery furnace. It's a story I know that you've heard many times in Sunday school, but I want to just read it to us again. It's a bit of a long story, but I think it's important that we read the whole thing in order to understand the story in its full context. It's Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 to 27. Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 to 27. This is what it says. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes of all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace." Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, "Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace?" They replied, "Certainly, O King." He said, "Look, I see four men walking around in, in the fire, unbound." And the fire. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, "Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here." And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Not a hair of their head was singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Most of the time we try to live life in obscurity. We try to go along with the flow. Because we all know that going against the flow is difficult. If you ever watch that TV show Survivor, you know the person who makes it to the end is usually the person who doesn't make waves. The person who stands up, the person who sticks out, the person who kind of acts differently from the rest is usually the first one to go. And that's also true in life. In a battlefield, the soldier who sticks his head up is the one who gets shot. This world does not like it when people go against the flow. There's a lot of pushback against them. And yet God has called us to do just that. God has called us to be different than the world around us. To act differently, to think differently, to be different than the world around us. Romans twelve two says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Maybe I've told this story before, but I remember when I was teaching English in China for a couple of months, we had to fly out of Beijing. And we had gotten on the Beijing subway... But we were quickly approaching the stop we had to get off of that was near the airport. And it was rush hour. And it was going to be very difficult. Because we knew that as soon as the door of that subway opened, it was going to seem like every person in China was going to try rushing into it. I mean, literally hundreds of people stood there waiting for the doors to open to immediately jump and try to enter all at the same time. And fortunately, there were 12 of us. We had lots of backpack, we had lots of gear on. We're thinking, what happens if one of us gets left behind? What happens if we don't all get off? This one guy says, I have an idea. Everybody grab me. This guy was 6'5". He was 300 pounds of muscle. And so we said, good idea. And we all kind of grabbed this guy, put our arms around his backpack, and then send the person behind and the person behind. And when the doors of the subway opened up, this guy just put his elbows up and walked. And it was like the Red Sea parted. I mean, it was like, you just see the doors open up and all these terrified Chinese, like, ah, you know, this guy rushing towards them, this whole group zooming through the middle of them. It was the only way we could do it. It was the only way we could get out. We knew that to go against the flow was going to be difficult. When I was in university, I had this shirt, Go Against the Flow. And it was a Christian fish going one way and all the other fish swimming in the other way. And I used to wear that shirt. Not simply because I thought it was kind of a cool shirt. Not because I knew people would comment on it and tell me it was a dumb shirt. I wore that shirt because it reminded me that I was called to be different. That I was called to stick out. That I was called to somehow be light and be salt in the world that God had placed me This is a choice that we must make every day of our lives. Are we going to fit in or are we going to stick out? Are we just going to do what other people are doing? When we go into work, are we just going to gossip? Are we just going to lie? Are we just going to tell jokes? Are we just going to sit around like everyone else? Or are we going to stand up? Are we going to stick out? Are we going to be different? Show that we're different because we are different. This passage says to us that going against the flow requires faith. And this faith is manifest in four different ways in this passage. Let's look at them. Number one, this passage says this to us, that faith is rooted in the Word of God. That our faith is rooted in the Word of God. When King Nebuchadnezzar says to these guys, you must bow down, They're not apologetic about their answer. They say, King, we will not do it. We will not do it. There's no debating it. There's no discussion. They don't get together, you know, a group and say, Well, let's, you know, consider, you know, the pros and the cons against bowing down before idols. You know, they don't do that. They say, God's word says... The Lord thy God is one. You shall have no other gods before me. Therefore, we will not bow down. God's Word says it, and so we will do it. They are not apologetic about their faith. I see so many Christians today apologizing all the time for their faith. You know, what do you think about this issue? Well, you know, I kind of, you know, feel a little bit like maybe it's kind of like... You don't have to be apologetic. Our faith is based upon truth. Absolute truth, not relative truth. One plus one always equals two. There is absolute truth in the world. And I believe that God's word is true. Why do I believe God's word is true? We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Because you see, our faith is not simply a blind faith. There's a rationale, there's a good reason that we believe in God's word as being absolute truth. But if you look to the very heart of it, we believe because of that song that all of us learned when we were very young. Jesus loves me this I know. How do you know? For the Bible tells us so. That we know who God is and we know what God is like because of His Word. And that is the basis of our faith. It's the bedrock upon which everything else is built. Jesus understood this When Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he do? He didn't try to come up with some kind of, you know, a a defense on his own. He went back to God's word. Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes From the mouth of God. You see, there's this flawed understanding in some Christian circles today that if you simply believe something, then it will be true. If you simply can work up enough faith, then whatever it is that you ask for will be given to you. But that is not correct. You see, because it isn't your faith, it's the faith that is the important thing. To say it in another word, faith is only as good as the faithfulness of what you hold on to. Oswald Chambers put it this way: It is not our trust that keeps us, but the God in whom we trust who keeps us. I have people come to me and say, "Pastor, you know what, what's your stand on this?" And I'll say, "Well, I, well, this is what I believe." You know. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Yes, I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, how can you say that? What about people here? And what about Muslims? And what about Hindus? And, and what about all these good people that do all these good things? And how can you say that, that only people who believe in Jesus are going to. I didn't say that. I'm not saying that. The Bible is saying that. I mean, this is what it says. Well, what's your stand on homosexuality? Well, I believe the biblical stand on homosexuality is this. Well, how can you say that? I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. Faith is rooted in God's Word, number one. Everything we do comes back to the Word. It comes back to what God's Word says. But this passage goes on to say this. Faith is realizing that life has wounds. Faith is realizing that life has wounds. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go on to say, if we are thrown into the blazing fire. You see, these guys aren't blind. These guys aren't simply saying, well, we know that if we just hold on to it, we're not going to have any problems. All we have to do is say, no, we're not going to bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, his mind's going to be changed by God and, and they're not going to have any problems. You know, that's, that's not real faith. Faith is realizing that in this world, we're going to have trouble. Jesus told that, us that Himself. It says in John sixteen thirty three, "I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world." Anyone who thinks that just because you're a Christian you're never going to have any problems in life doesn't understand the truth. They don't understand what God's Word says. I've had people say, "Well, you know, I got sick." How could God? Doesn't God love me? You know, I'm, I'm facing this terminal illness. Does that mean that God has forsaken me? That doesn't mean that at all. Just because you lost your job doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Just because you got in a car accident or you got hurt or something has happened in your life or you've lost a parent or you've lost a spouse, whatever that hardship, whatever that furnace that you've gone through in life, it doesn't mean that God's not with you. Because all of us in life will go through furnaces all of us in life will face hardship. The Apostle Paul understood that. The Apostle Paul said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. That's a promise. If you want to be a Christian, you're not going to have an easier life, you're going to have a harder life. And he also understood that people would turn away because of that. And he warned the church about that, the church of Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, Paul writes, We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were here with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Paul said, no, you're going to face persecutions, you're going to face trials, you're going to face hardships in this life. That doesn't mean that God's not with you. That just means that you're human. That just means that you're part of the human race and that you're living in a fallen human world. Faith is rooted in God's Word. Faith is realizing that life has wounds. Number three, faith is remembering God's works. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to Nebuchadnezzar, We know that God is able to save us. We know that God is able to save us. You're about to throw us into this furnace, and we know, even though physically it is impossible for us to survive that ordeal, we know that God is able. Even though this is natural, we believe that God is supernatural. That He's able to go beyond the natural. He's able to go beyond the circumstances. He's able to do something that we don't expect. God is able to save us. And each of us, as believers, has to understand that. Part of faith is remembering that God is for us. That God is working on our behalf. As Tony Campola has said, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Because God loves you. Because God is on your side. Emerson once wrote that, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. That in life we see God's faithfulness. And all that we see from the world around us, as we talked about a few weeks ago, tells us that God is faithful. That God is able to keep us. Cliff Richards said, the more we depend on God, the more dependable we find He is. And that's true. heard the story of a ship that was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean and they were facing this terrible storm and there was this lieutenant on board and he had his wife with him and his wife, this was the first time she'd ever been out in the open sea and the ship was bouncing up and down and waves were coming over the side of the ship and this guy, this lieutenant seemed to be just calm and in the stateroom, she walked up to him and she said how can you be so calm? we're all gonna die the ship is gonna be destroyed We're, we're not gonna make it and he said it's okay, it's okay God is in control. She said, how can you believe that? And so he had a sword at his side and he pulled that sword out from his side and he pointed the sword at his wife and he asked her, are you afraid? And she said, of the sword? Yes, he said, this sword is sharp. This sword is able to kill you. Yes, she said, but I know the hand that's holding the sword and I know that hand would never harm me. And he put the sword back in its sheath and he said, Yes, and I know the one who holds the storm. And I know that he will never harm me. You see, our faith is rooted in the fact that God loves us and we have a history with him. All that he has shown us tells us that he is for us and that he has what is best for us in store. Faith is rooted in God's word. It's realizing that life has wounds. It's remembering God's works. And lastly, and ultimately speaking, faith is remembering God's will. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say this. Our God is able to save us. But, they say, even if He doesn't. And ultimately, to be a mature Christian, you have to be able to say that. We believe that God is able. We believe that God is able to save us. But even if He doesn't. In other words, even if going into this furnace means that we die, we will still not bow our knee. We will still do what is right. We trust that even if we die, that God is still in control. And that's real faith. Faith is trusting God even when everything in the world around us is falling apart. True faith is easy when everything's going great, when there's money in the bank account, when everybody's healthy, when things are going great. It's easy to have faith in God in those times. Faith is refined during the times of your life where everything is not going well. When you look at a situation, you say, I have no idea how God is going to get us through this situation. I just, I just don't understand it. Remember that story where the guys were carrying the ark of the tabernacle, the, the ark across the Jordan River, and it was at flood stage, the water was really deep, and it was moving fast. And those guys were just told, walk across. And so they get down to the water, and they put their foot in the water, and then they put the next foot in the water, and they put the next foot in the water. It says that God stopped the river. But God didn't stop the river there, he stopped the river far upstream. So as they put their foot in the water, nothing happened. And they put their next foot in the water, and nothing happened, and the deeper they went, the farther they went, the deeper they went. And the water was here, and then it was here, and then it was here, and I'm sure at some point, it was like here, And then, it started to go down. See, true faith isn't you put your big toe in and BAM! It's it's dry and you walk across on dry ground. That isn't usually what God does in our life. Sometimes He does. But my experience is being, you put your foot in. And you say, God is faithful. And you put your foot in. And God is faithful, and the water's coming up, and you take another step, and God is faithful, and another step, and God is faithful, and the water continues to rise, but you keep on moving forward, knowing that at some point you're gonna make it through this. At some point, you're gonna survive this. At some point, the waters will recede. At the end of World War II, some soldiers went into a bombed-out building in Berlin. In the basement, they saw that a Holocaust victim had taken some chalk. A Jewish person had taken some chalk and they had written on a wall. And this is what the message said. I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it is not shown. I believe in God even when He does not speak. And there will be times that we will go through life and it will be as if God does not speak. And at times like that, there has to be faith. Faith in God's deliverance. Let me tell you that God could have delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in three different ways. And I think I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating. God could have delivered them from the fire. In other words, God could have said... I'm going to change Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He's going to realize the uh, the error of his way. And you know what? They're not even going to have to face the furnace. He's going to turn around and he's going to say, Okay, okay, guys, I just wanted to try it to see if you were really serious about this. But now I see you're serious. And you know what? You don't have to go through the fire. And sometimes God does that to us. We get diagnosed with an illness. Someone comes, they pray for us. And bam, miraculous healing. Problem solved. Issue resolved. I mean, God steps in, and in a miraculous way, brings an end to the situation. He heals us from the problem. He rescues us from the fire. God does that sometimes. There will be other times, though, when God does not rescue us from the fire, but God will rescue us through the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced this. They had to go into the furnace. But even though they went into the furnace, they came out okay. Sometimes God's going to say, you know what? I'm not going to save you from the furnace. You're going to have to go through that trial. You're going to have to go through that difficulty. But when you go through that difficulty, I want you to know that I'm there with you. I'm right beside you the whole way through it. Sometimes God builds our faith by not saving us from the fire, but saving us through the fire. We have to face that illness. And it looks bad, but at some point, through doctor's intervention, through chemotherapy, through something else, life goes on. And healing occurs. Sometimes it's through the fire. Sometimes it's from the fire. But there's a last way that God heals. And there's a last way that God rescues. And sometimes it's by the fire into his arms. Ultimately, every person in this room will die. (laughs) Unless Jesus comes back, all of us, unless, you know, we got another Elijah in the room, all of us are going to die. I knew a guy in Kuwait. God healed this guy miraculously. He had a very serious disease. God touched him, healed him physically from that thing. Absolute miracle. Asked him afterwards, isn't it amazing how God healed you? And he said, Yeah, but I'm still going to die. <laughs> you know, God healed me from this, but ultimately I'm still going to die. At some point in my life, you know, I'm not going to live. For- Nobody lives forever. Ultimately speaking, God has one plan of healing us, and that plan is by taking us home. My dad had prostate cancer. For five years, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we interceded with God to heal him miraculously, to save him through that disease. But ultimately, God decided to heal him by the disease and just take him home. And you know what? That is healing. That's still healing. Even in the midst of that, we can say that God is in control. That God's will be done in this situation That God is still on the throne. No matter which way He chooses to work in, God is on the throne. And He is in control. None of us know the path we're going to have to take through life. Nobody knows what furnaces that we will face in our future. But what we do know is that Jesus is with us. Nebuchadnezzar looks into that furnace and there's these three guys in this furnace and there's that fourth person. And he says it looks like a son of the gods. It wasn't a son of the gods. It was the Son of God who was there in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was there with them in a physical and a tangible way. And can I tell you something? You will never so feel the tangible presence of God in your life as when you are in the furnace. You will never see so tangibly the working of God in your life as when you are in the heat of the furnace. I love this passage because it says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't messing around. He threw the very worst he could. The furnace was heated seven times its normal temperature. The guards, the soldiers who took them to throw him in, they were all killed because of the heat coming off this thing. It was so hot that the things that bound them were burned off. And yet, even though they were wearing normal clothing, I mean, they weren't in there in asbestos. Even though they were wearing normal clothing, it says not a hair on their head was singed. Nothing. I mean, when those guys got out of there, it said that there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. Think about that. Not even the smell of smoke. I love that. Because I think there are times in life when God takes us through the furnace and God brings us out the other side of the furnace without even the smell of smoke on us. That God can take us through situations that are so terrible, that are so awful, it would break a different person. But we come out of the other side of it unscathed and unharmed, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one you should fear. In other words, death isn't something that we should be afraid of. If the very worst that the devil can do is kill us, big deal. If the very worst the devil can do is send me home to Jesus, bring it on. <laughs> You know, if, if that's what going against the flow costs, and we live in a land where there isn't a lot of persecution. There are other parts of the world today that if you stand up, and if you declare you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is an automatic death sentence. Here it simply means that, you know, people may offend you, or be offended by you. They may not want to be your friends. They, they, they may run from you. They, things may happen in your life. But you know what? Ultimately we know that God is in control. Victor Hugo said, Let us be like the bird for a moment perched on a frail branch. When he sings, though he feels it bend, yet he sings his song, knowing that he has wings. The little bird comes down and and perches on that tiny little branch. Even though that branch is so fragile, he just goes on singing. And the reason he can sing is because he knows if the branch breaks, he just flies away. He has wings. And likewise, we have wings. We have a sure and we have a set future, so we don't need to be afraid. Oswald Chambers wrote, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means that whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things that can only be learned in a fiery furnace. As we come to this table today, as we come and as we take from this, partake from this communion table, as you take that bread, as you take that juice... What I want you to take home from this message today is that God has purchased you at a cost. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. He gave His best. He gave His all. You were extremely expensive. Your salvation cost God everything. Do you really think that if God was willing to spend everything He had on your salvation that He would let you go, that if God has made such a great investment in your life and in your future, that He would allow something like a sickness, that He would allow something like a tragedy, a loss of a relationship, something else like that, to derail you and to destroy you. He has way too much invested in you. This table is a reminder of the fact that God has a plan for us. This table is a reminder for each one of us that no matter what we go through in life, we have the faith. We have everything we need to ride through that storm. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. They're going to lead us in a song that will help us to transition into the communion table. During the singing of this song, I'm going to pray in a moment, but during the singing of this song, I want to say that if, if you're here this morning and you have children... That uh, you would like to go up to a program in the fellowship hall. They are allowed to go during the singing of the song up to the fellowship hall. There's going to be someone there. They're going to be showing them a video or doing a program with them. Um, For the rest, I say this. That if you are a believer in Christ, if you are someone who has a relationship with Him, and you know you have a relationship with Him, this table is open for you. It's not just our denomination or just a Mennonite table. This is a table for everyone. But if you're here today... And for one reason or another, you don't feel that you can participate at this table, either you're not absolutely sure of your salvation or maybe there's something in your life that, that is just wrong and, and you're not taking any steps to fix it, then we would ask that you don't need to leave. Just stick around. You can participate without participating. As the tray comes, simply let it pass by you and, uh, and continue just to enjoy the spirit, the atmosphere as we go to this table together. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you.